when it comes to heating up your business, it's all about making more bacon. And that requires an expert with a particular set of skills. You need a Baconologist. Building authentic connections, online networking, through social selling, relationship marketing, mindset and training. Yeah, that's bacon. Get ready, because we're about to fry up a sizzling success strategy. This is the Bacon Podcast with your host and business Baconologist, Brian Basilico. It's a lot of bees, man. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Brian Basilico, and this is the podcast where you learn to make your business sizzle online. So are you ready to fry up some new business? Here we go. Hey, peeps, I am uber excited. I have a great guest today. His name is Aiden McCullen, and he is the author of a book called Undisruptible. And today we're going to be talking about dealing with change. Not the kind in your pocket, the kind that we have to deal with when life hits us, technology hits us, whatever it is. Hey, Aiden, man, how are you doing? I am fantastic, Brian. It's great to be with you. Big fan of the show and delighted to be with you and discussing this topic of change. Thank you, my friend. Well, listen, I know you're coming to us from over the pond over in Dublin, Ireland. And, uh, you know, that's a, a change to me because I know it's a different culture. But you grew up uh, working in a pub and you were changing out a lot of different things. You were changing out beer. You were changing out stuff that people left behind in the bathrooms. And you kind of <laughs> dealt with that for a while. And then you went on to basically helping corporations change themselves. So how did that transition happen? So, yeah, I, I worked in a pub during the Celtic Tiger, which is this period of massive growth we had just before the massive burst of that growth in 2008. And I worked in a pub in the early noughties, late 90s, and like so many kids that's what we did but it was crazy times where i used to come in at 6 a.m my vision by the way my purpose of this was to to earn myself a pair of sl1210 technics decks so i had this vision of perhaps being a dj in the future and nice so, yeah so i worked worked my butt off for the entire summer and what happened during that summer because i was taking in sometimes 250 kegs of beer every day I I just got bigger and I got stronger and I wasn't that talented of a sports guy. I was often last picked as a kid on the playground, that kid. And I grew into myself and I grew in confidence and I ended up then going on to play professional rugby for 10 years. And what I noticed and what is a, a train of thought throughout this book is this idea of permanent reinvention, that reinvention isn't a one-off or two-off thing. It's multiple reinventions throughout life. You have to do that. You have to embrace that. And one of the biggest lessons I learned was because as a sports player, you have to retire at an early age. So it was early 30s. And that is a difficult transition for so many of my colleagues really struggled with that. For, for example, there's studies show in NFL over in your part of the world to American football players retire on an average salary of two to three million dollars but sometimes go bankrupt within 18 to 24 months because they can't let go of the person that they used to be and i see this now in business P businesses can't let go of the business mo business model that they've created when it's successful oftentimes it hides potential threats and opportunities we've seen it with so many organizations kodak nokia the list is getting longer and the list is getting faster than ever before yeah, disruption is a, a way of life in business. I mean, just take, you know, things like COVID or anything, you know, there's there's so much going on. So 
Let's kind of dig into what you talk about in the book. And uh, I'm curious, what does a catapult what does a caterpillar have to do with change? So yeah, I use this concept of the caterpillar as this beautiful imagery of the resistance to change because it's so difficult for us. 75% of digital transformations fail, 80% of New Year's resolutions fail for the same reason. You cannot change business models until you change mental models. You can't change what we do until you change how we think. And I use this beautiful metaphor from nature, which is the change from the caterpillar into the butterfly and not in the common way, because you see this oftentimes, this idea of the great metamorphosis. But the great Nobel laureate and author Maya Angelou said, we delight in the beauty of the butterfly, but rarely admit the changes it has gone through to achieve that beauty. And what she's talking about there is it is painful to become the butterfly. So here's what happens. When the caterpillar first emerges from its shell, some caterpillars turn to consume the shell using their former self as fuel for their next becoming. Then they go through incremental growth, becoming multiple size is its own body weight. It eats multiple times its own body weight. It sheds its outer skin to become bigger and bigger, incrementally growing bigger. This is what happens most of us. We become a better version of what we were yesterday. But the big transformation is really difficult when we go to make those big changes from not just job to job, but maybe industry to industry as organizations that might be to a new business model. They're painful transitions. And what happens in the caterpillar is there's these cells, beautifully named the imaginal cells deep within the caterpillar's DNA that are programmed to come online at a certain point in the life cycle. And they're called imaginal cells named after the word imagination. They come online and they start to communicate. They resonate at a frequency that communicates to a jeweler to say time for change. But what happens, the DNA of the caterpillar, the, the immune system of the caterpillar sees them as so foreign and so different that it attacks them. Just think about anybody listening who is dealing with change in their life or in an organization. The corporate immune system often comes out and starts to attack those who are looking for bigger change. Mm -hmm. But what happens next, the caterpillar moves to a new level where the imaginal cells persist and they overtake and they induce the caterpillar to become the chrysalis. The chrysalis is this part of the life cycle and the hardened skin of the cocoon. So that outer shell we see on a cocoon is actually the hardened skin of a caterpillar. So it is painful. But what happens next, Brian, an enzyme is released inside when the caterpillar is inside that hardened skin and it melts down and becomes this gloopy, soupy fuel and it fuels its future becoming. It fuels what becomes the butterfly. Now, if that doesn't sound painful to you, <laughs> that's just this idea that resistance is natural. Expect it, foresee it. And when you do, also realize that there's a bigger transformation at the end of those difficult transitions, those difficult moments that we have in life. So one of the things that I could imagine being a caterpillar is fear of the dark. You know, you all of a sudden are, you know, out and about in the world and then you're in this cocoon, it's dark and you're covered in goop. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I don't think that, you know, people have that kind of fear, but why do people fear change so much? What is it about it that makes them, you know, basically want to cocoon themselves. Well, we become we become successful. Like if you think about a kid, for example, a kid figures out, oh, I'm good at basketball. 
parent goes, hey, Aiden, great game today. You're really good. Then the, your younger brother or sister becomes good. All of a sudden, people start going, hey, Jenny, you're doing great at basketball. And I'm kind of going, hey, that's my thing. And we over-identify sometimes with these things where we believe we're good at instead of actually looking at, okay, well, rather than a specific technical skill, there's a, a range of things I'm good at. And how can they recombine in order to do new things? And what the biggest shame, I think, in life, and one of the reasons I wrote this book is we need to embrace the fear because the f other side of the fear is transformation. And fear blocks so many of us. And there's a beautiful quote by David Bowie. I know you're a music fan. Big time. <laughs> and Bowie had this, Bowie was such a great thinker. He was a philosopher, really. And he said, if you feel safe in the area you're working in, you're not working in the right area always go a little further into the water than you feel you're capable of being in. Go a little bit out of your depth, and when you don't feel quite that your feet are touching the bottom, you're just about in the right place to do something exciting. I love that quote because we have to be purposeful about putting ourselves into the deeper water because that's where you learn. You learn in those moments of discomfort, and you need to embrace them. And so many of us reach those points of fear those points of resistance and re recoil back to the way things were and we deny our future becoming and that's really what drives me and my work both in organizations but as an executive coach as well as helping people through those transitions because the other side of the difficulty is often magnificent re reinvention a new life a new becoming and that's what life's all about very true and, um, you know, along the lines of the David Bowie quote, uh, one of my favorites is, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And it's very similar to that. But the deep end of the pool analogy, I really like that. And you talk about a wave analogy, too. So not only are you talking about touching the bottom of the pool, but making waves. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the wave was, uh, the, the book is peppered with, Metaphor. So what, what I found, Brian, is, and you've, you've read a lot of books, I found my interest is innovation and change and change management. They're full of frameworks, and the frameworks are often academic, and they're written by brilliant academic people. And I found sometimes they're quite boring, quite repetitive. They're hard to read. You feel like you're in college again. So I wanted to write a book that was slightly different, that is embracing all those brilliant thinkers, but actually brings it to life through analogy and through story. And I was testing this out on my kids throughout the time of writing the book. And one day, what happened was one of my kids had had a bad day. My wife said he's upstairs. Something had happened in school. Are you okay, buddy? I go up and check on him. He's like, yeah, sure, everything's fine. And I went in to prepare a bath. You know, those that's how young they were. So I was preparing a bath for them. And, um, you know, kneel down on one knee, pull up the shirt sleeve, test in the water, you know that, and start swooshing it right and left. And I noticed that the wave that you create, so I remember when you were a kid and you'd love swooshing around in the water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so it dawns on me, call in the kids, and I call in the two boys. Hey, boys, check this out. See this water? Now, this is a deep lesson for, like, at the time, you know, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. And I go, see that water? And they're, like, looking at me, part tolerance, part fascination, wondering, oh, here goes dad again with his damn me metaphors and analogies. And I say, look at the water. See the way it's swooshing? And there's a wave and a crest at the same time. But yet it's the same body of water. It's all the same water. And they're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> And I'm like, 
that's like life, boys. And they're like, oh, God, here he goes. Dad, the just hand guy. me the rubber duck, would you please? Come on, and shut yeah. up. Let's get in there. Yeah. So so I like, do you get it? You're, I said, so when you're at the top of the wave, you got to enjoy things. you got to be grateful. you got to recognize it. you got to smell the roses. When you're at the bottom, when you're in that trough, realize that there's a crest on the way. It's temporary because it's so difficult and some of us listening will be in those troughs or feel like we are. It's so difficult to see that there's another crest coming. So I leave that lesson, look at them, and to see if they got to go. You got a boys, look at the older guy, he nods, you know, kind of going, can I go now? The younger guy looking at him, he's staring at the bath. I'm kind of going, are you really into this? He's really into this. And he looks at me, he goes, dad, will you put me in there and do that? <laughs> so I put him in and start swishing him around. And anyway, a couple of weeks later, man, the, the older guy breaks his arm, falls from the trampoline, breaks his arm. Again, I come home from work and I'm like, how are you, son? How are you? Everything okay? And he's like looking at TV. You know the way your kid ignores you when they're looking at TV? You, well, you think they are. Mm-hmm. He goes, yeah, yeah, everything's, everything's fine. And I was like, going, are you, how are you? And he's his arm in his cast. And I was like, you're very brave. And he goes, ah, oh, don't worry about it. I just hit a trough of a wave. I was like, boom, the lesson got in there, you know, true, true to subconscious. And uh, maybe he was just trying to get rid of me, but it certainly made me feel like I was on the crest of the wave when he said that. I, do, I think you deserve a dad merit badge for that one. <laughs> That's awesome. Very few of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So continuing on with the water and the wet side of things, you talk about uh, jellyfish and Ouroboros. What, are, what the heck is an Ouroboros? I know <laughs> what a jellyfish is, but what's the other thing? So the, uh, there's this wonderful analogy I use in the book of uh, there's this beautiful animal, this creature called Toratopsis Dornai, right, which is an immortal jellyfish. And we don't think there's many creatures. There's some creatures actually can live forever, theoretically. And and actually in, in the labs, they can. So this jellyfish, so the, the natural life cycle of a jellyfish is they start off as this kind of blob, a polyp, and then they become kind of this tubular shape. Then they kind of plop out these all these little tentacles, and then they get to the top of their life cycle, the top of a wave, if you think about a growth phase. And then they die or they they fall prey to predation <coughs> or disease. And what this creature does is when it hits times of turbulence or the water or the environment changes, it actually reverts to its younger self. So it actually bursts down into these polyps again. It becomes a younger version of itself, plunges down to the bottom of the sea again and starts the life cycle again. And it was my son again, that older guy, he told me about this because it's this beautiful creature that when it feels turbulence, it actually, or when it feels that it's quite, you know, reached a peak, it actually goes back down and it recreates itself. So it's this beautiful story of reinvention. And I say, that's what happens to all of us. If you think about that, we need to be proactive about that, reinventing ourselves. And and to do that again, like the caterpillar is, it takes a bit of pain, it takes a bit of thinking in order to go through those changes. And if you think about it, all the tasks you do that makes up the role you, you do in life, that's what we burst down. We go, okay, well, if I burst my role down into all these component parts, how can I rebuild them? And what, would I, what if I added something new, some new part of growing, and I let go of some parts of what I used to do in order to make space cognitively or otherwise in my time in order to recreate myself? 
what could I become in the future? So that's why I used that story of the immortal jellyfish. And then the Ouroboros is this another creature, it's amazing mythical creature. You'll have seen this what happened here for me was during a dream one time when I was writing the book, you know, when you're going through these periods, you've written a lot and you understand this, you end up waking at three o'clock reaching for your journal, I have an idea. And I have this practice, Brian, where if I have an idea, I email myself to a specific Gmail address. And I collect all the ideas under subject lines. So I wrote the book this way. So each chapter had a subject line, I just send ideas to that subject line through the email address. And I had sent this idea. And it just said in the subject line, snake eating own tail. And I was like, what the heck looked at that a couple of days later had forgotten about the dream, but I thought it was a nightmare. So I did what we all do, I googled snake swallowing own tail. And I discover this creature called the Ouroboros. And the Ouroboros is this ancient mythical creature. It's the idea of a snake consuming itself in order to become something new. So think back to all those things I talk about the caterpillar, the immortal jellyfish, using what you used to be in order to fuel yourself, that is this symbol. And that's the symbol I use for permanent reinvention. It's the infinity symbol, the snake swallowing its own tail, the caterpillar using its former self as fuel for its future becoming the immortal jellyfish bursting down, letting go of all these things that no longer service serve it in order to become something new. And these are the type of metaphors that you can expect from this book. So we've talked about like animals and we've talked about water and we've talked about jellyfish and you know, all of that is great metaphors. But what about people? How does all of this relate to business? And do you have any examples or something you talk about that kind of solidifies it and shows how it works for us? So yeah, the, well, the, the life cycle of a business is much like that of the jellyfish I mentioned, where you go through this period of figuring things out, if you get through that fear point that we talked about, if you break through that fear, you start to figure things out with your business, get a startup going, you get into a growth phase, but always you reach this plateau phase, whether it's going to the gym, or whether it's building a business, you reach a plateau phase. And what I propose is based on so much of the studies, you need to reinvent ahead of the necessity to do so. Otherwise, you don't stand that much of a chance of continuing such growth. And some of the organizations I work with, for example, one of them is Toyota, Toyota, for example, as a senior team, we brought together the 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 legacy business, those people who ran the business as it is today, and those people who are building the business of tomorrow. And what often happens in those rooms are, there's a, a tension of opposites. And when you understand what is happening inside the heads of the other people, when you understand that actually these people do need to be working on new versions of what the company can be, and equally, those pe people who are building the business of tomorrow can look back and go, I actually need the legacy organization, I need the organization, they have any mix of marketing or funding, or capabilities that I can use in order to create and fund and recreate the business. And if you can marry those together, and that's the idea of the caterpillar using its former self to become the butterfly, that's the idea of the immortal jellyfish breaking down and becoming something new, the idea of the Ouroboros using its former self to fuel its next becoming. That's what we need in organizations. And oftentimes they're pitted as enemies, when in fact, they're partners in the future. 
Very good point. And that's one of those things that I think that really, you know, people need to get their arms around the fact that there are people who you're going to meet that say, that's not how it's done, you know, or get off my lawn. And then you've got the other people who are like, dude, check out this new bright, shiny object. And, you know, the balancing between those two seems very important. Absolutely, Brian. And the, that balancing act is like I think about the tension. So the tension that's created between one versus the other is actually, if you think about, like, for example, a tightrope, a tightrope is useless if it's slack. If there's no tension there, it's useless. Or you think of a bow and arrow, that the bow needs to be pulled really taut in order to propel the arrow forward. And I love that as an idea of the tension of opposites in order to propel a new business into the future. You need old and new working together in partnership, not in competition. Aiden, this is awesome. And I am sure that my audience is going to want to get to know you and your book better. What's the best way for them to connect up with you? You can find me on LinkedIn, Aidan McCullen. I think I'm the only one out there. And you can find me on the innovationshow.io, input out. Put is why I picked the IO, Brian. And uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter, anywhere else. But uh, mainly LinkedIn is a good place to find me. Awesome. Well, I know we're connected there. And Aiden, this has been a, you know, mind opening, mind bending and uh, metamorphosizing, I think is a good way to talk about it, you know, with caterpillars and jellyfish and all that fun stuff. No, it's been fun. And uh, thank you for coming on and dropping some sizzle and hot bacon knowledge bombs on my peeps. I appreciate you and look forward to talking again in the future. Absolute pleasure, Brian. I wish you well. Thank you for letting us sprinkle some bacon bits into your brains. Want some more? Learn more about this podcast and our guest experts at baconpodcast.com. Have questions? Send them to askbrian at baconpodcast.com. Until next time, keep sizzling. And remember, it's all about the bacon. Bacon.